Amen. You can be seated. Let's thank our musicians this morning. Oh, I'm telling you now, what a blessing we have in this house to be served by this team. What a blessing they are. They work so hard and diligently throughout the week, carrying their own lives, and yet they serve us so well in bringing us into God's presence. Aren't you blessed today by, by the instruments that God uses? Amen. Well, we're going to continue today talking about reaching out to others. Aren't you glad that God reached out to you? And God didn't, you know, come into our world to criticize us. God didn't come into our world to condemn us. God didn't even come into our world to, you know, challenge us with a load of rules and regulations and confront us in how we were getting it wrong. God came into our world to connect with us. Whenever you look at the life of Jesus, this was the very motive that drove him. He wanted to connect with people. There's nobody that's lived on the face of this earth like Jesus He had this wonderful ability to connect with people. That's what gave him power to reach out so effectively in amidst the world in which he lived. Jesus has this incredible ability to reach all sectors of society. He could reach the the high and mighty, but he could reach the low and the despised and the disenfranchised. He had this wonderful ability to reach into other people's worlds. He had this amazing ability to connect with people. It didn't matter what religion they were. You see Jesus crossing all divides. And Jesus lived in a time that was very divided religiously. The Jews didn't bother with the Gentiles. And there was sectarianism and, and division. And yet Jesus walks over all of these divides. He could, he could connect with Gentiles as much as he could connect with Jews. He wasn't pressured to stay within the boundaries and the four walls in which he grew up. Jesus broke every rule in the book. Not because he wanted to break rules and offend people. But the key ingredient of Jesus' life that sent him out amongst the lonely masses that, that that, that, that were on the edges of society was love. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. That's what I want to bring your attention back to today. Because if we are going to reach a lost and a needy city, if we are going to reach this dark nation of Wales that needs help so desperately, the key ingredient that's going to enable us to to walk into our world with everything it needs, is love. That's how God reached you. He didn't criticize you or condemn you or look down his nose at you and get frustrated about you and I. He didn't get angry about the places that he found us in. No, God reached out to us in love. He really did. This is how he connected with us, and this is how he wants us to connect with others. It's not having a great speech and a great spiel that's going to win our world. It's not going to be, when we'll see this, a head full of knowledge that enables us to reach the the low and the lonely. It's going to be the love of God. 
you know, the time in which Jesus walked, the, the religious people had all of their impressive buildings erected, temples and synagogues on every street corner. And it was impressive. They had their, their moral code and their religious laws that people had to adhere to. And if they didn't adhere to those, they weren't in their club. They had everything seemingly that was necessary. And yet they were completely irrelevant and out of touch with society. Completely in the dark. Jesus, we saw last week, stood up in his home church in Nazareth. And like a light in darkness, like a voice in religion, life and love in an environment of, of law, he stands up and in Luke chapter 4, he begins to detail all of the people that he's going to meet for the next three years of his life. They hand him the book of Isaiah and he turns to the place where Isaiah said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Isaiah saw this time coming of the Messiah walking on the face of the earth. And Jesus picked that very point of Scripture to announce all of the people that he was going to reach that they had missed, that they had kept outside. And I think Jesus sets forth the most amazing example for us to follow. Jesus doesn't want us to have, you know, a full head and an empty heart, friends. My God, Jesus wants our heart burning for the lost. Jesus wants our heart burning for people that don't know him. And you may have had a hard time trying to reach loved ones and friends that, that, that don't know Jesus. You may have faced rejection, but don't give up. Don't give up. Go to your knees by your bedside and pray for them. They won't be able to, they might be able to resist your voice, but they won't resist your prayers. They're powerless in the face of your prayers with God. Pray good things over them. Pray blessing over their lives. You know, my mind very often goes back to that, that moment where Michelle Stone met Siobhan on the bus station and it was but an invitation to come home to church that brought such an amazing couple into this place and many others. Don't give up if you're rejected. Jesus began to tell those, those people in Nazareth, the people that he wanted to reach, and the people that he was speaking to were poor, were brokenhearted, were captive, were prisoners, were blind. He, he wanted to reach them before he reached others, but in the face of this wonderful exciting commission. They rose up and rejected him fearlessly. They pulled him by the scruff of the neck. He said, come here, you little upstart, you young preacher. We'll sort you out. Who do you think you are? They tried to chuck him over a cliff. Can you believe that? Right at the outset of his ministry. You see, sometimes when you're going to do something for God, and, and you're, you're, you're in that embryonic stage of something being born, of something beginning, of something being birthed. Be aware, because that's when the most fierce resistance can come. And it was right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry that this horrid resistance came to take him out. Just before, he'd been in the wilderness for 40 days and nights. Imagine that. 40 days in the desert. 
And what was happening? Resistance from the devil himself. Tempted on every front to leave his commission, to to compromise what he'd been called to do by the Father. And every time Jesus came back to the Word of God and he dealt with Satan himself and he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And Satan had to go, man. He had to go. And it says Jesus went into the wilderness in the fullness of the Spirit. And after that, that awful opposition in the wilderness for 40 days, it says he came out in the power of the Spirit. I'm telling you now, come what may, if you go into a test in time and you believe that God's called you and God's with you, if you go on through with God and keep believing and keep your faith intact, you'll come out not just in the fullness of the Spirit, but in the power of the Spirit to do what God has told you to do. Telling you. And he comes in the power of the Spirit, ready, commissioned, full of promise. And he stands up in his home church. Just imagine that, under the power and the anointing of the Spirit. This is his, one of his first days out in his hometown where everybody knows him. I've come for the poor. You've got a poor mentality of God here in Nazareth. I've come for you. Today, this is fulfilled in your midst. Suddenly, they get up, and there's fierce rejection. Listen, half of us would bow out right there. Half of us may, and I don't say that critically. I'm talking about me here. Just imagine turning up for work tomorrow, and you're full of the promises of God, and then suddenly you get dragged by the scruff of your neck, and they want to throw you out the window. You might not turn up on Tuesday for work. The pressure's real. But Jesus walks out undeterred by the rejection and he goes on into Capernaum and within seven days, he's not being rejected now. He's with the people that he'd spoken about the previous Sunday and he's being received by everyone to the point that they would not let him go from the city. And Jesus said, listen, I've got to go. I can't just stay here where you're receiving me. I've got to go to the unreached places where the people are. What is that? That's being driven and impelled by the love of God for others. Jesus sets forth the most wonderful example. He does. There's nobody like him. You can list all of the wonderful evangelists that have graced our time. And there are many wonderful anointed men of God. But there is not one that can come even near to Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Not one. And there's many, many wonderful men and women that God has raised up, but nobody comes near. And they would say, they would say the same. Nobody like Jesus. He could could speak on a hillside to tens and tens of thousands of people, but he would never be captivated by the numbers of the crowd because then we would find him traveling miles and miles. To find one lonely, solitary individual that was trapped and bound by darkness. There's nobody like Jesus. Just people. Gripped by people and their needs. And he sets out his course in Luke chapter 4. I'm going after the poor. Oh, by the time I speak to them, they're going to be rich. I'm going to make myself poor so that they can, com- so they can become rich. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after the brokenhearted. He couldn't bear to see people brokenhearted. He couldn't leave a broken heart and pass by and ignore it. He had to jump on in and get involved and bring wholeness and healing and blessing wherever he went. John said, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten son. Now, there's many things that we could describe as glorious about Jesus' life, but the utmost glory of Christ's life was God the Father's love impelling him and moving him into situations that were beyond hope. And he would bring life and light wherever he went. He would never leave people broken, hearted. Oh, this city is a broken city. It's a broken city. Many of our lives have come from this broken city and we came into the house of God with our brokenness. And slowly we've seen him build and repair and restore and make us whole again. And now we are whole. Our commission is to go onto the field of battle where people are languishing in their, in their tens of thousands. In need of our help and care. Jesus, I'm going for the captives. I'm going for the poor. I'm going for the brokenhearted. I am going for the captives. I'm going for the blind. I'm going for the oppressed. These are the people that I am going for, he said. And he set his face like flint. And he would not be deterred from it or moved from it, and he immersed his life for the next three years into fulfilling that plan to bless and heal and deliver and save people. How can you do that without a burning, fiery love within you? You can't do that just by human resolve and human strength and a set of goals. You have to have something supernatural burning inside you. Jesus described it as the anointing of the Spirit. Love. Love. Is the one attribute. God's love. God's love. The one attribute that the church needs and has if it's going to be involved in this wonderful commission that Jesus has given to all of us. Not just one, but to all of us. He's commissioned all of us to go out into our world. And if we're going to go out into our world and make disciples, it's not going to be through persuasive talk or forceful means that that's going to be achieved. It's going to be by the burning power and presence of God's love radiating from our hearts and our actions and our words and our very being. It really is. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm going to read it to you from the message version. And this chapter is an amazing chapter. We've read it and I'm sure you know it. 
I don't think you can ever find a detailed description in this world that any person has ever wrote regarding true love as you can from the scriptures. It's divine, it's supernatural, and it's, it represents God's love. And this is how God reached out to us. 1 Corinthians 13, reading from verse 1, it says, If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't have love, I am nothing but the creek but the creaking of a rusty old gate. I love the way the message puts it. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all the mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump and it jumps, but I don't have love, I have nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't have love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I am bankrupt without love. Now the great thing is, we'll see, God never leaves us bankrupt. He always fills us with his love. And enables us to do what he's called us to do. But this is, this is real talk. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of the truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps on going to the end. And another translation puts it like this, love never fails. How about having that burning in our hearts? I think that's the, 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 the growing desire of any child of God, isn't it? When you become aware of what's available to you in, in this life that Jesus has given us, and you begin to understand about God's love and, and the dimensions of it and how it enables you to function in the many pressured and varied situations of life, you say, Lord, fill my heart with love. It makes you unconquerable and helpful to others. And this is what Paul, this is what God, through Paul, was revealing to the church. Jesus, on one occasion, said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you. Now, this wasn't the 11th commandment, one extra on Moses' 10. This was a new commandment that was going to fulfill all of the ten. And he said this. So this wasn't, you know, this wasn't the eleventh commandment, an add-on to Moses' ten. No, this was the new commandment that was going to characterize the new church and the New Testament church that Jesus was building and is building. And he said this. This is the one commandment, boys, that's going to fulfill everything. As I have loved you, love one another. 
Not do this, don't do that, do this, do that. No, if you've got my love at the center of everything, all of that will take care of itself. As I have loved you, as you've seen me love you so unconditionally, as you've seen me love the masses of people that have thronged to me day and night, 24-7, as you've seen me act and speak so graciously to everybody that I've met, as you've seen me go to the nth degree to reach the loneliest and the lost, as I have loved you, as you have seen me love others, love one another. What a wonderful, wonderful vision and purpose to give your life to. The Bible tells us not just to speak the truth. The truth can be really damaging. Truth can be really hurtful. The truth can be like a hammer that you can smash somebody down with and rip their life apart with. It's no good just speaking the truth. The truth will just cut people to bits. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. We get good at speaking the truth, of being the vanguard of the church and the policeman of the church, Herald in the truth. We've got to hold up the baton of truth in our time and generation. No problem with that. But if you simply speak the truth without love, you're just going to massacre people. You really are. And you are not going to be in the spirit of what Jesus is building. Speak the truth in love. In love. Also, the Bible says, and this is an, again a wonderful, a wonderful instruction and guiding point for all of our lives. Now, are we there yet? Like the kids say when we're on a journey. No, we're only five minutes in and we've got days to go. We know we're not there yet with this. But at least when we, when we see the wonderful blessing that God has for us in, in, in his love, we can reach towards it and believe for it. The Bible says, do, imagine this, do everything in love. Do everything in love. What a high standard. Can we live like that? Well, if I didn't have the Bible, I would say definitely no. From looking at my own experience. But with the power of the Holy Spirit and the promises of God that, that equips us for everything pertaining to life and godliness, we have to say, yes, we can do everything within love. We never have to stand outside it. There never has to be a, a, an air in action or, or word off our, off our mouth outside of the wonderful God of love. Do everything in love. The standard is immeasurably high. And you know what? If we look at our own lives, we would say, my goodness, we just can't do that. But we know the power of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives. We know that what's impossible with man is possible with God. Really is. And that's why I'm telling you now, it's, in, it's time to think highly of your life. 
It's time to think great thoughts about your life. It's time to really speak well about your life. Because your declaration from your lips over your life is going to determine your direction in life. Whatever you declare is going to direct you and take you to the place that you want to be in God. Start speaking well over your life. Start speaking good things over your life. Start declaring the word of God even if it seems a million miles away from you. Start speaking it day and night. And you'll find what you declare over your life will direct you and you'll move on into it. You really will. When somebody wants you to remember something, what you find is they repeat themselves. They just keep saying it over and over and over again in different ways. Jesus did this all the time. The Bible actually does it all the time. Jesus was a genius at it. Because he could, he could want to establish one point in his disciples' lives. And he wouldn't just, you know, use the same words and the same sentences to establish that in, the, in his life. He'd use circumstance here and teaching there and, and all kinds of life situations. And before they knew it, they'd be at a place that he had designed for them. And yet, he'd used a myriad of different ways to get to one place. When somebody wants to tell you something especially God, he will use a variety of different ways, a variety of different ways to establish just one thing. He's amazing. And when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what we see in this amazing chapter is that God says, five, he, 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 he uses five different ways to teach us about one thing. He speaks in five, he comes from five different angles to establish the one point that he wants to establish. Let me look at this. And in looking at this, you're going to see the importance, the importance of having this agape, unconditional love of God in your life. You actually have it already, okay, as a Christian. You actually have it right now in your heart. But we've got to access it. We've got to resource it. And we've got to let it come on through and manifest to all of the people around us. Just wait till your friends see this love manifesting. You need to get excited, church. Just wait till your family sees it manifesting before them. Just wait. Until somebody comes up to you in the office and slaps you across the right side of the cheek. And you may feel the hit, but you turn the left and you give them the left. Just wait and see. Just wait and see those who come and curse you. And, they begin to, and you begin to bless them. The power of this love manifesting is so wonderful and glorious. Paul in, in, in just the first few verses of this chapter, tells us and reveals to us, if we don't have a life of love, nothing we say will matter. That's what he shows us. If I do not have a life of love, no matter what I say, will matter. It won't cut it. 
Now, lots of times when we want to reach people, we have to communicate to people. We use words every day, but I'm telling you now, if love is not the source of those words, it'll just be thin air, and it won't cut it. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 says this, If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but don't have love for others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Or like the message said, a creaky old gate. You know, we live in a time where we love communicators. We live in a time where, you know, there's a celebrity culture. But you know what? God does not put any value at all on that. Nothing. God doesn't value that. God didn't send Jesus as a great speaker, although he was. What made his teaching powerful and authoritative was the love burning inside him for others. Really was. Jesus had no interest in being a celebrity. He said, I've come to serve, not to be served. And he stopped it right there. He drew a line in the sand. And when they wanted to make him king... He outlined exactly what he'd been commissioned to do. He said, boys, I'm going to hang on a cross. I'm going to be the sacrifice for all time so that I might deal with the sins of the world and redeem mankind to God. If I don't have a life of love, if I don't live a life of love, what I say will not matter. Nothing that I say will matter. Secondly, if I don't live a life of love, nothing I know will matter. Now, Paul here, under the inspiration of God, God's Spirit, is outlining exactly what this love looks like. Because the Corinthians and the culture in which they lived put priority on how you could speak, how eloquent you could be, and they put priority on what you knew. But Paul says, hey, all of this is futile. If you don't live this life of love, even what you know will matter nothing. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 2, he says this, if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't have love for others, I would be nothing. It doesn't matter what we say. It doesn't matter what we know. You can be a walking Bible encyclopedia and you can be the biggest pain in the backside to everybody out there, friends. If we think... If we think that chucking a load of scriptures out parrot fashion is going to cut it for somebody that's bleeding and dying and languishing in life, we've got another thing coming. It's true. But it's the love of God. It's the love of God in our hearts together collectively as his body that can do the work that he's called us to do. Paul shows us. Nothing that we say, nothing that we know will matter anything without this burning love that we need to reach others. He also tells us, thirdly, about God's love. He says, if, 
if I don't live a life of love, nothing I believe will matter. Now, this may shock us as Christians. Oh, you've got to make sure what you believe is right. You know what James said in his letter to people that were believers? He says, you believe, you do well. Even the, de- even the demons and the devil himself believes. Belief isn't good enough, friends. You can have all of the doctrine. You can have all of your scriptures. And you can have it all lined up. And yet without love, without love, it matters nothing. Love enables us to use the truth to use what we know about God well and in a positive way. But without it, we just become legalistic and critical and hard. In fact, Corinthians actually tells us this. It says, knowledge, 1 Corinthians 8, Knowledge makes you proud. Knowledge, that's right, puffs you up. It's like leaven in a loaf. It makes you look large, but really, you ain't got any substance. You're a counterfeit because the love of God is not burning in your heart. But what does it say about love? It says knowledge puffs up, but love edifies It takes knowledge and it applies it to the broken heart. It takes knowledge and it applies it to the the person that's blind, that can't see because of their past and their future uh, and their present. It takes takes knowledge and it applies it to the captive. It edifies. It makes it productive. It doesn't give you a fat head and a thin heart. Makes it real. Then finally, these beginning verses of chapter 13 reveal to us, if we don't have a life of love, nothing that we do will matter. If I don't have a life of love, nothing that I do will matter. Oh, sorry, we're on number four, aren't we? Number four, I said number five. Number four, if I don't have a life of love, nothing that I give will matter. Now, this can seem like a bit of a contradiction, but you know what? Paul even deals with this aspect of giving because sometimes people have all kinds of motives when they give. Some people give for selfish reasons. Other people give to manipulate a circumstance to a given end. Just because somebody's generous, we say, oh, we applaud them. Let's give them a plaque. Let's give them a certificate. The most generous person in our city, in our world. But you know what? There can be ulterior motives many times behind even our giving. And Paul goes right to the the heart of this. Because this love is like something that we've never known. It's from God. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3, he says, If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could, bo- I could boast about it. But if I didn't have love for others, I would have gained 
Nothing. You see, love enables us to give correctly. But if we're not in love, even our giving and the motives behind it are wrong. Finally, we get to number five. If I don't live a life of love, nothing I do will matter. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 3. From the message version. It says this. So no matter what I say. No matter what I believe. What I do. I am bankrupt. Without love. I am bankrupt without love. Our prayer. And our cry. And the desire of our lives. As we are seeking to reach. Beyond our own lives into the lives of others, must always be centered in that love that God has poured into our hearts. Let me give you this scripture to show you that you have this love, that I have this love that is necessary for the opportunities and the needs that are going to come to us on a weekly basis. Romans 5 verse 5 says this, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love of God has been poured out in your heart. It's going to direct you. It's going to lead you into situations that you may never have thought you're going to go into. It's going to be your aid and your help and the, the, the empowerment that you need to bring answers where the questions seem unanswerable. It's that love that's been poured into your heart that's going to empower you to reach and fulfill the words that Jesus has spoken to us. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Finally, John chapter 20, verse 21. Some of the final words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. He was leaving. They were in a kind of daze about all of that. He didn't speak these words to them when he originally found, that, uh, found them washing their nets and sitting in their tax offices and wandering in life. When he'd initially found them, there was a lot of work to do in their lives. There was a lot for them to experience. There was a lot of example to set before them. When he first found them, they were rough-cut diamonds. But over the, over the course of the three years, he was going to polish them. He was going to knock the hard edges off them. And he was going to craft them and make them his disciples, disciplined followers, men who were, were strong in their convictions. And these men that he'd chosen, just broken people that were completely unqualified, fishermen, he'd taken with him. And these men would ultimately, 12, would ultimately go to the ends of the earth declaring this wonderful news of Jesus' death and resurrection and the time now of the Spirit coming. And these 
were the final moments, the closing moments of his life. And do you know what he said to them? John 20, verse 21. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. This is the next, this next line, I love it. Oh God, it's awesome. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. I'm sending you. As the Father has sent me, you've seen him send me into, into leper colonies and I brought healing. You've seen me, you've seen the Father send me into graveyards to bring maniacs out and, and, and bring order so that they can go back home to their families. You've seen me in a myriad of situations. You've seen me provide for multitudes. You've seen me bring life where there's death. You've, you, you've seen me bring blindness. I mean, they saw amazing things, mind, mind boggling things. And he says, as the Father sent me into all of those situations that seem so hopeless, as the Father sent me into all of those situations that seemed unredeemable, and you saw me bring change and help and healing and wholeness and newness of life, so I am sending you. Now go, he says. Go with this love burning in your heart, with the awareness that I will never leave you or forsake you, but will we'll be with you at all times. Go now into all the world. Don't be afraid of the world. Don't, don't, you know, keep closeted up behind closed doors, rehearsing your sermons and your doctrines and, and trying to work it all out. Just get out there into the world, into the mess of the world. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you with that same anointing power. You're going to see great things and greater things are you going to do even than I did. Church, the commission is still the same. Read the Gospels. Read them over and over again and see how the Father sent Jesus. But don't just be satisfied with the fact of reading about how the Father sent Jesus. Be excited by the fact that the Father is sending you in the same way that He sent Jesus. This is a living gospel. This is a living word. These, these are, uh, God wants to do real miracles in people's lives in 2018 in this city. And I'm telling you now, it's not ever going to be achieved by one, two, three people. It's going to be achieved by His body. It's going to be achieved by, by people like Michelle standing on a bus stop saying, Hi. Hi. Want to come to church? That's how it's going to be achieved. And he's going to send us in the same, same way. Amen. Why don't we give God thanks for his word this morning? Oh, we praise you, Jesus. We praise you. And Father, I pray over every person in this building this morning. And we realize, Lord, that we have a limited time on this earth. We realize, Lord, that life is precious. That your word says that life is swifter than a weaver's loom. Lord, we realize, Lord, that, that it's passing so quickly. And Lord, we want our lives to be used in this area of the world. Newport, we want our lives to be used, Lord, as your life was used.
in Nazareth, Lord, we pray. Lord, we just pray that you would fill our lives with the lives of those that you are seeking to reach. We pray, Holy Spirit, that your love that's been shed abroad in our hearts would guide us and lead us and enable us to do, Lord, what you want us to do. I pray over your people. I pray for your power. I pray for your anointing. I pray, Holy Ghost, that your love would start burning. Oh, it may mean that we cry tears. It may mean, Lord, that there's groans of agony, Lord, within our heart as we see the pressing needs of the multitude, Lord, when you saw that great multitude before you. It says your heart broke. It was moved with compassion. But God, that compassion enabled you to get up and speak the word of God and heal the sick and bring healing and blessing to that vast multitude of people. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that your church would be a mighty light in this city. I pray that your church, every church in Newport, every church in Wales, Lord, would would be full, Lord, to the doors. Lord, I pray that there would be not room enough to contain the great blessing that this land is going to have as your spirit washes over it. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that it's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And Holy Spirit, our eyes are on you. Holy Spirit, our eyes look to you. And we ask you to empower us, to use us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, while eyes are closed, I'm going to pray a prayer. Maybe for the first time, you're going to ask Jesus. You're going to pray a prayer in your heart, and you're going to ask Jesus to become your Savior. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. You say, but my life's a mess. I know my life was a mess. All of our lives were a mess without Jesus. But Jesus doesn't criticize. Jesus doesn't condemn. Jesus is a savior, the savior. And he saves us from the mess and the muck of life. Today, for the first time, maybe you're going to pray a prayer. You're going to pray this seriously before God. It's not going to be a casual thing. Jesus is going to come into your life and he's going to give you peace for the first time. Pray this prayer. Very simple. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I need you to be my savior. I believe in you. Forgive me of all my sin. Wash it away. I want to be brand new. I believe you died for me. And I believe you rose from the dead. Amen. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, we're going to have people at the back of the hall with Bibles. We'd love you to have one. And listen, we just say this every week. Just keep coming back keep coming back. You're part of God's family now. You're going to notice a change. Maybe not out there in the world, but within your inner world, there's going to be a great change because of that prayer and that cry from your heart.